Let's continue worship with selections from John chapter 14 and 16. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will not take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. morning. How's everyone doing? Great job, Mike. Uh, I'm Chris. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Riverstone. Glad you're here. Today, we are wrapping up a, a conversation um, over about a month now and some change on the Holy Spirit that we've just called um, Empowered. Uh, one of the things I enjoy about, I have enjoyed about this specific conversation um, is it, it has invited us to examine uh, the fundamental assumptions that you have about the world that we live in, like is there a spiritual reality? Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? And if he's out there, can we engage with him? And can he impact our life in any real way? And if he can, uh, you know, what does that look like? What does it look like if the Holy Spirit is out there and can it engage us and then we can live empowered lives? What on earth would that look like, right? Big questions. And we said, um, the first week out of the gate, we said, no one comes to this conversation with a blank slate. We all have some ideas, Christian or not, about spirituality. Is, can't, do we have spirits? Are there spirits in the world? Is there a Holy Spirit, right? What about supernatural gifts of the Spirit? All of us have some idea of what those are and what those should look like. And probably you got them from movies, right, or hearsay or something like that. But number two, um, we've also said that the church, um, what, you know, this thing, has literally divided over questions like this. Can the Holy Spirit empower us? And if so, what does it look like? So I don't know if you grew up in church or hang out with Christians, um, but people have literally divided, like separated churches. Like, we're not going here anymore because of the answer to this question. Okay, some people are nodding their heads. That means you grew up in church, right? People have, in fact, this issue of the Holy Spirit and who is he and what does he do um, is so divisive. It's the, the parallel that we gave to it in week oh, two or three or something like that was basically that issue in church is basically that, that issue, um, um, politics in America. It's, it's literally that bad. So what I mean by that is this, people get an opinion and they stuff themselves down in that opinion and anyone who disagrees with them, they dehumanize and demonize. So unfortunately, I'm sad to say Christians do that too about all sorts of theological issues, especially this one, right? 
So it's true. So you may be, in fact, you may be here today thinking, yeah, man, I'm so glad I'm not like those crazy maddocks who never turn their brain on and think of demons behind every flat tire. Or you're the opposite side and you're like, man, I'm so glad I'm not some dead Christian and I got the Holy Spirit and I don't just like sing hymns and read the Bible, but I'm a Holy Spirit Christian, right? So those two, there's, those are things, okay, in church circles. And what we said um, week one from the beginning is this idea, gifts, tongues, prophecy, super divisive in the church. And last week, it was all about Paul pleading, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, those whole chapters, right, are about Paul pleading for unity because of this issue, okay? Everyone got it? It's a real deal. So today, we're going to wrap up this entire series on the Holy Spirit. And today's pretty simple, this idea about the Holy Spirit. We probably wouldn't, wouldn't even classify this as a supernatural thing or maybe even a spiritual thing at all. Uh, but it seems to be one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, so much so that it is one of his titles. And that is, he is called the Spirit of Truth. Spirit of Truth. Let me read you some scriptures. John 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father... Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth, it's his title. When he comes, he is going to guide you into, what's that say? All truth. Fascinating. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So, according to Jesus, it is the Holy Spirit who leads you, reveals all truth to you. Or you could say it this way. Your ability as a person to hear truth <laughs> in any context, to hear truth in any context, may have more to do with your vulnerability and softness of heart towards the Holy Spirit than many other factors. Hmm. Not just facts. Not just seeing facts like it's a red light. That's a fact, okay? Not just facts, but truths. Like, you know, facts, you can completely know the facts about something and completely miss the truth behind the meaning, the significance of something, right? So I can know the facts of, of a, about a woman, <laughs> right? That doesn't mean I can understand and know the significance and the meaning of relating to one. My wife was very nervous right there when I said that. I could see your life. She was like, where are you going with this? Right. You can know the facts about something and not the truth about something. Right? And so the crux of what the work of the Holy Spirit does is to bring truths into your life. All truth. The truth about you. The truth about your neighbors. The truth about God. So this is a really big claim. Now, Jesus notices a very big problem with this idea of our ability to hear truth. He says the spirit of truth, when he comes, hey, listen, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. So Jesus is saying, your problem might, mean, might, might not be that you, it's just that you don't want to hear truth. No, it's that you can't. You can't hear truth. What does he mean? Whenever the Bible says the world or the flesh, it is not necessarily talking about the physical earth or your physical body. When Romans says, put to death the flesh, is he saying kill yourself? No, he is not. What is he talking about? What is the world or the flesh? What is he talking about? He's talking about, in the Bible, when it says this, he's talking about a mode of operation. 
He's talking about the internal disposition of man primarily towards God. What is the mode of operation that they are referring to, that the world, this mode of operation, what is that? What is that? Well, it is the mode of operation that has basically rejected God. That humanity collectively has rejected God, and now we won the world from our own limited perspectives. That's what the Bible means when it says things like world or flesh or even sin. Apparently, when man sins, it's not just some isolated act or some arbitrary thing like God randomly picked out and was like, no, you couldn't do that. Like, you know, like, I don't know. Let's make sex outside marriage wrong. Why? Uh, it'll be funny to watch him struggle, right? No. No, sin in the Bible, y'all, is, is like... When it talks about sin, it's saying you're going against the grain of created order. That's what sin is. It's like trying to stick your head underwater and breathe. It's going against the very design of life. And apparently, the effects of living in that mode makes you unable to hear truth. Like all truth. Like can't hear it. You can't. It steals you out. Apparently, the effects of living in sin, right, that mode of operation, living amongst the people who have rejected God's authority, when we reject the very structure of how life flourishes, it does something to your ability to hear. You might know the facts, but you can't understand the truth. You see, Jesus would talk at great lengths about this in parables. He would compare truth to seeds. Have you ever read this in the Bible? And he'd say, you know, some people, some people's mode of operation is like really soft soil. And when God's truth is received, it grows and it bears fruit and it digs down and it gets roots in that person's life and it radically transforms the whole landscape of their life. In that mode of operation, life brings, like they hear truth and it causes them to flourish and other people to flourish. What is a seed? It's like the what gives us food, all the things that nourishes me, it nourishes others. And he says, some people have a mode of operation that when they hear truth, they don't take it to manipulate others. They don't take it to oppress others, but it becomes in them a source of life for them and for everyone else. That's a particular mode of operation. And you know how he would say, he'd say things like this. Those who have ears to hear, hear. Is he talking about the little flaps on the side of your head? Like those of you who have hear, ears, I don't know. No, no, no. He's talking about a mode of operation. There is a humility that some of you have in your heart where you will hear truth when it's spoken. In other words, you can't. Can't, not won't. Can't. That's what we just read. The world, that mode of operation, can't hear the truth. What truth? All truth. Truth about themselves. Truth about the world. Truth about God. And no matter how much truth is thrown on top of them, it never roots itself in their life. It never roots itself. In fact, that mode of operation is like soil that's been compacted. What's soil that's been compacted? What's that called? Clay? What if, but wait, wait. What if you compact it like really hard and put pressure and heat over it? What does it turn into? Rock. Sedimentary rock. So hard that no matter how many seeds you throw on that rock, ain't nothing going to grow, brother. Nothing. Fascinating. The Bible, isn't it? You think about the parables. Say, he's saying, maybe they hear truth. Dude, maybe even when you're in that mode of operation in the world or in the flesh, maybe you can hear truth. Maybe you can speak truth. Dude, maybe you can even preach sermons about truth. But it's not going to change your life. 
It's not going to root itself in you and transform you and make you the kind of person that nourishes and sustains yourself and others, right? I know many of people who consider themselves tellers of truths that are absolute jerks. And they justify being a jerk as, well, I'm just being honest. Dude, you might be telling the facts, but I'm going to go ahead and just suggest that you've maybe missed the truth behind the facts. I know plenty of Christians who are utter jerks because they think they have the truth and that gives them the ability to be a jerk to everyone because I got the truth. Dude, you've missed the truth, bro. You've missed it. Like what does Jesus say to the Pharisees who knew all the facts of religion? He says, you guys have neglected the weightier issues of the law, the love of God and justice. You can know all the facts about Christianity and completely miss the truth, just like you can know all the facts about your wife or spouse and completely, completely miss the truth behind who they really are. You don't listen. You see, I can know facts and not truth. You can know the facts of Scripture, but they don't know the truth of it. Romans 1.18, this is fraught throughout the Bible, y'all. Fraught. It's all, Romans 1.18 talks about the kind of person who suppresses truth. Suppress it. See? Second Timothy talks about a kind of person who rejects truth. And they prefer myth, actually, to fantasy. That's what Second Timothy says. Jesus called himself the truth. Huh? He said, actually, Jesus has said, actually, y'all, you know how sometimes we're afraid of truth in life? Like, we're afraid of our own imperfections and flaws. And if anyone ever puts up a mirror to us, we're like, I'm out, out of this relationship, out of this church, out of this friendship. You told me a truth about myself that I do not want to hear, and therefore I'm out, right? Jesus said, actually, it's the truth that sets you free. So if you're a Christian, you never, ever need to be afraid of the truth, even when it condemns you before it sets you free. Sometimes the truth's got to condemn you first. Sometimes it's got to rip you to pieces. Sometimes the truth is a wrecking ball of God. And it comes to your house and it wrecks the whole thing before it can set you free. Sometimes that mode of operation, the world, the flesh, is so ingrained in us that God has to first rip apart before he can build up the foundations. This is the analogy of soil. If you have compacted soil, it must be cultivated. It has to be tilled. Do you think that's a peaceful process? You ever tilled soil? Compacted soil, try to get, I mean, I've rented those from Home Depot and it's like, oh my, you know, right? Some of us in this room, the truth of God has to rip you to shreds before it can start building you up again. And when it does, how do you respond? When the truth of God comes to you in a way that feels oppressive and it feels destructive, if I do that, this is going to do this in my life, how do you respond? You just find another church, right? Find a guy who's not going to talk like that. Find a friend who won't reveal that to you. Can you hear truth, friend? Can you hear it as a person? Can you hear it about yourself? Can you hear it about God, right? Jesus said, your ability to hear truth, to see truth, is directly related to your position towards the Holy Spirit. So to help us think about this, the Bible gives us tons of pictures. And one of the pictures we've been digging into is this idea of soil and clay. Another one's in Ezekiel 11. Let's read it together. Ezekiel 11 says this, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit. Hmm, I wonder what spirit he's talking about. And I will put within them this new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Why? Oh, so you can walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them. And then you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. Let's sit with the picture. 
God makes man out of clay. And God turns clay to flesh. Got it? And then what can happen in our fleshly hearts when we submit to the ways of the world and the flesh? Turns back to rock. Turns back to clay. What happens when you take the seedbed of life? What's the seedbed of soil? What happens when you take soil and you compress it? And you press it under and the pressures of life are pushing down and the heat's turned up and sorrow and suffering and exploitation and racism and genocide and wars and all the things that has been out throughout all of human, human's history. When you take all of that and compound it down on your heart, what does it do to you? It turns you back, it's decreation. Y'all, this is a picture of decreation. Back into soil, back into rock, compressed. Now, the thing that was made, humanity, y'all, humanity, the thing in the Bible made to, to create an atmosphere of flourishing for all things. What was man's mandate? Produce fruit, multiply, cultivate the land. You were made to create the atmosphere of flourishing in the earth. That's why you were made. That's why God made you. That guy, that person who was made to create an atmosphere where things grow himself turns into rock himself becomes a thing where nothing can grow in it. Why? Because that mode of operation. The mode of operation of saying, I know more than God. I, I'm smarter than him when it comes to my sexuality. I'm smarter than God when it comes to what I do with my money. That mode, he's saying, turns your heart to rock. Dude, fascinating book, the Bible. The creature made to create an atmosphere for growth becomes himself in a, in unable to grow unable to grow things. He can't change anymore. What's soil versus rock? What's clay versus rock? Clay, mold it. It's soft. You know what? Clay can take a hit, can it? Clay will just, it'll just dent. Can a rock take a hit? Mm -mm. No, a rock shatters. It crumbles when persecution, when sorrow comes. And God is saying, dude, something can happen in you, in your inner man, in your inner woman, and it has to do with your ability to hear truth, but it creates a person that can't handle change. It's not soft anymore. You've hardened, right? Your heart has turned to stone, right? It can turn you to stone. And you know, you know what Jesus says? He says, you know what the work of the Spirit is? The Holy Ghost, the weird guy in the Trinity, you know? The weird one that some Christians are super suspicious of is to take your heart of stone and turn it to flesh. That's what he does. What, what is that? I mean, guys, sit with the picture. Just sit with it, man. Just roll around on your heart and your mind. What does it mean? It means you can feel things again. Huh? I mean, how many of us go through difficult situations, and what do we do in sorrow and heartache? We cauterize our hearts. We toughen our hearts. We say, if I'm going to make it, i got to be harder. Right? This is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And we deal with heartbreak and relational disjointment and all the things that humanity does. Right? And when we say, if I'm going to make it in life, i got to harden up. And he's saying, you, and then in that position, if you guys, I don't know if anyone, but I've been there, okay? I've been there. When I just, I just want to feel something. And what do you do when you just want to feel something? You do end up doing all sorts of sinful things. Looking for it in all the wrong, I just need to feel something. That's why addiction, right? Chemical, right? All sorts of things we're looking to feel. And he's saying it's the Holy Spirit who takes your heart and gives you the ability to feel again. To feel in relationships. You feel me? <laughs> right? Talking to my wife. You feel me? Are we talking? Or are our words just hitting brick stones? You see the difference? The work of the Spirit fundamentally changes who you are as a person. It's okay, all right. So I think of 
um, a t the Tin Man. Remember the Wizard of Oz? Remember the Tin Man who sits out exposed to the elements, natural elements, rain, wind, and what happens? What are those elements in life? Well, the elements sorrow, hardship, right? And it rusts out his joints, so he is inflexible. He couldn't move. And many of us, we just know that as just a, a natural mechanism of life, the older we get, the rustier we become. The more rigid we become, the more inflexible we become. Uh, this is why in that amazing children's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis makes one of the powers of the white witch to turn people into stone. And who was it? It was Aslan, only Aslan, who could breathe on the stones and turn them back into real people. By the way, the Hebrew word for spirit is breath. It's just wind. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. The Holy Spirit is the impact of God coming on the earth coming on your hearts. And what do we think? If God could come down to earth and do something, we'd say, well, he'd, he'd smash out the wicked, right? He'd, apparently, when God comes to earth, he turns your heart of stone to flesh. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, there will be a day when he comes once and for all to end all wickedness and shake it out of the earth like a carpet. But for now, when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he comes not to condemn you because of the sin and the hardness of heart, but to redeem you from the sin and the hardness of heart. That's happened, your, that's happened because of experience in life, right? And if you think about it, we experience this all the time in relationships, right? Our joints rust, and we can't hear other people's truths. We can't hear the truth about them, right? We hear the facts, right? There's truths and there's facts. And the Bible clearly elaborates on this further in 1 Corinthians. He says, now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see this echoing all we've said, right? And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirits. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of God. Oh, and he's elaborating on this. Why can't the natural person accept the things of God? Oh, because he thinks they're stupid. They're folly to him. And he's not able, you see? Able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now... I will grant you that I'm not the best communicator, all right? So you can go for church for years and years and years and say, I don't get anything that guy says. I get it. I get half the things I say too, okay? I'm just, that's fine. But there might be something else at play, sister. There might be something else at play, brother. It might be this word, spiritually discerned. That's a fascinating word. It's actually, the English translators struggle with this word. Uh, they translate it multiple ways, and seven times, seven times they translate the same word discerned. Like, what does that even mean? Seven times they translate this word discerned as examining something. Spiritually examining something. Twice, that same word is translated questioning something. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.25, whatever sold in the meat market without raising any questions. Same word. So, it could be that what that word is getting at, what's that mean? What's spiritually discerned mean? It could be someone who is stuck in suspicion about spiritual things. They are stuck spiritually questioning, spiritually examining, unwilling, to re refusing to accept God's truth. They're spiritually skeptical. It could mean that. 
I mean, you can look it up. You can see how that word's translated. It's not super clear. Now, what is clear is the why behind the what of their condition. You know why they can't see or hear truth? You know why the church is dumb to them? You know why they fall asleep in sermons, right? They've not received the Spirit of God. It, and, and it seems to him, it seems to them to be folly. It's dumb. When they hear God's truth, when they hear spiritual truth, they, they're, it's stupid to them, unreasonable, irrational. Only an idiot would fall for that, they think, right? And why is that? Well, it's a prejudgment they've made about God, about the Holy Spirit, about truth. And you've classified it as irrelevant. <laughs> I mean, this is, happens in all of life. You classify something as irrelevant, you're probably not going to pay attention to it. You've prejudged, you see? You're, so he calls it foolishness. And of course, uh, this particular subject, the Holy Spirit, what we're talking about, uh, many, many, many Christians would in a second call this speaking in tongues or thinking you're going to pray for someone and see a miracle. They'd call that foolish. Would they not? Interesting. Wonder what is limiting the, the Holy Spirit's activity in your life? What is limiting your ability to hear scriptural truth and it come to life to you? It might be because you've prejudged it. As dumb, as irrelevant. Remember, when Michael uh, judged David for dancing before the Lord. Do you remember that? He's bringing the ark back. He's dancing and he's in an ephod. And it says that Michael and one of his wives condemns him. He says, you, you're an idiot. That's what, basically what she says. You know the only thing it says about her? She was barren the rest of her days. What does judging other people in the spirit who, who are rejoicing before God, what does it do to you? When you walk into a room and you see someone dancing with the Lord and you say, what an idiot. Apparently, there might be a connection between that prejudgment in you and your ability to, to bear fruit as a person. To see the fruit of that in your own life. And of course, psychologically, this makes perfect sense, right? When you judge and when you condemn something. This is why, guys, in the New Testament, Paul is pleading with people over and over, guys, don't quench the spirits. Seek him. Ask for him, right? What's super clear is that the act of receiving the Spirit is the thing that allows you to understand spiritual truths. What are, we, what are the things that it says? It says the things freely given us by God. We are in the dark until we receive the Spirit of God. I'm just reading you the Bible. Now, think about this for a second. This completely shifts the paradigm and promise of what Christianity is. What is the paradigm and promise of Christianity? Think about it. If Christianity is simply a field of study, if it is simply a subject to be examined, like many of us treat it, right? If it's simply a history of some people that maybe if I'm into history, I can, you know, go after that. See, if that's true, then the truest Christians would be those who commit themselves to a life of study, of knowledge, of history, of ancient Hebrew. It would be the smartest people would be the best Christians, right? If it's just religion, the way you move forward in knowledge is by learning that knowledge, right? The Bible's going to say, you know what, though? Knowledge puffs up and insist that the paradigm and the promise of Christianity is not knowledge, but it is a relationship. So you can have a PhD in women's studies, right, or women's medicine. You can know all the facts, but that does not mean you know how to be an amazing husband, right? And so in fact, sometimes it's really, really intellectual people who often struggle with personal relationships. They're too distracted by facts to see truth, right? See, for me, to be an amazing husband to my wife, I have to listen to the truth 
of who she is and what she wants. But for me to listen, she first has to reveal to me who she is and what she wants. As much as she would like it, I am not a mind reader. <laughs> Look, I've been married 15 years. All right, everyone breathe, okay? Look, we're, we're fine. I'm not... This, yeah, look out. No. Uh, oh, no, no. Actually, she has to explicitly tell me things to do. Like, passive-aggressive stuff doesn't work with me. I'm too stupid, right? Like, if she's like, the trash is really full, I'm like, yeah. yeah. No, she has to be like, Chris, can you take out the trash? And then she has to be like, oh, and then you got to put a bag in it after. Like, oh, that's right. Got to do all that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. See, no, she has to reveal her will to me doesn't see. She has to choose to communicate it to me. If she doesn't, a little marriage advice here. If you don't actually express and communicate your will to the other people, things won't go well. Because then you're going to be angry at them for doing things that you've not told them to do, that they didn't know they were expected to do. A little marriage advice for you, people. Um, you've got to reveal yourself to them. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice to be vulnerable with them to be honest with him. And apparently, the Holy Spirit is the choice of God to be vulnerable with you. The Holy Spirit is the choice of God to reveal himself to you. When my wife, my wife is revealing herself to me, and apparently she doesn't want to live at a dumpster. That's her revealed will. But then, I have to respond to that, don't I? There's two parts to play in that relationship. It's the Spirit of God who reveals who God is. That's what the Bible claims. But then you have to respond to that. You have to decide if you're going to listen to that. This is the claim of the Bible. It's not information. It's a revelation of who God is. It's God revealing himself to you. You're not dealing with mere information. You're dealing with a living being who has a desire and a will. But the question is not simply, do you know that? The question is not simply, do I know that she can reveal to me, take out the trash, and I can be like, no, right? You might know the things, but are you, are you obeying? Are you submitting, right? The question is a relational question. Will you actually do the things that God is revealing to you? Will you adjust your life to make room for his truth? That's how relationships work, y'all. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying the truth of Scripture only comes to life when the Holy Spirit reveals it, but there are two parts to play. And if you don't actively listen and comply, the relationship will stall. And this is where many Christians live. In a place in which they could describe to you the theology of Christianity forwards and backwards. They can get up and preach a better sermon than I can preach, but their lives are dead because they're not obeying the Scripture. They know the facts, but not the truth of the Scripture. You can put it this way. If, God, if you want to know God's truth, it's not just about our intellect or your first century knowledge. It is about your willingness to obey. Another component in what it takes to know truth, A.W. Tozer says this, A.W. Tozer says this, let me say so boldly that it is not the difficulty of discovering truth, but the unwillingness to obey it that makes it so rare among men. He goes on to say, when Jesus said that he was the truth, this means that truth is not a thing which you must search for. It is a person whom you must listen to. And Paul is saying it's the Holy Spirit that makes that possible. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals, who explains. The Holy Spirit leads into all truth, not just truth about Scripture, but truth about your, yourself, truth about the world we live in. And this is where we're going to start to land the plane. Like, how you answer questions like this, what really matters in life? Who am I? What's wrong with me? <laughs> how should I think about this or that? 
It's the Holy Spirit who can help you answer questions of identity and meaning. And without his power, your own fragile ego blocks the way for you, under, for you to understand truths even about yourself. John 16, 8, this is what we read. This is what we read. When he comes, who? The Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of sin concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So he doesn't just lead you into truth about God. He leads you into truth about yourself. He convicts where you're in the wrong. He shows you the truth about what's really sin, what is really righteousness. The Holy Spirit helps us acknowledge truths about our own humanity. He leads you into all truth. What does this mean for us? If we're going to be people who live saturated in the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, that means, number one, we don't avoid truth. Wherever we find it, in our own hearts, in relationships, in the workplace, in the larger culture, we don't turn a blind eye to truth. Or you could say it this way. There are those Christians who will refuse to acknowledge certain truths if it casts a shadow on their political preferred figure. Some of you are one-sided in your pursuit of truth because you have a personal bias. I don't care who your man is. We don't turn a blind eye just because this guy or that guy is a part of a political party, right? The people who are full of the spirit of truth can hear truth. They're not afraid of truth, even if that truth may cause you to rethink certain things. That means we don't avoid truth about ourselves or about others in relationships. It means that we own up to truths that are revealed to us when we are being corrected. Someone full of the spirit never has to be afraid of truth, even if it condemns them, like I said, right? We can own truth because we know the aim of truth is what? To set us free. Therefore, when we are wrong, people who are full of the Spirit can own it. When we're wrong, we don't have to hide from truth of our own failures because the gospel set us free from that, y'all. People full of the Spirit can be corrected in truth. They can be rebuked in truth. They can be held accountable in truth. They don't spit venom at you when they, when, when they are corrected, when you tell them the truth. Many people today, y'all, I'll just give it to you straight, live isolated lives because they cannot hear truth. They cannot hear truth about themselves. They cannot hear truth about even simple things like, hey, actually, if you did it this way, this would help you. And if you turn the hammer this way, some people just can't hear it. Some of us live our lives like no one has the right to tell me anything about myself or if there may be an easier way of doing this. No one has the right to keep me accountable. This is a huge reason many of us live in isolation today. I know you're uncomfortable. It's okay. We're almost done with this point. But they can't handle truth that is revealed when they are in community because when you're in community, who you are is revealed. And this is why many of you live isolated lives. It's not that you don't like God or don't want to know truth about God. It's you don't want to know truth about yourself. And when you become vulnerable with people, who you are is revealed. And apparently it's the Holy Spirit who makes you able to hear truth even about yourself. Right? In real relationships... You see how other people do things, right? And all of a sudden it becomes clear, wow, I'm an angry person. I would not have done that as patiently as that guy did it. That's what you're confronted with. In community, you are confronted with different ways to be married, to walk out marriage relationships. And some of you are like, wow, actually, I didn't know until I got in community that my marriage is horrible. <laughs> Look, they seem so patient. Look how they're talking with one another. Look, their, look at their freedom and their ability to confront one another, right? In community, that's what we rub up against, and it's the reason some of you avoid it. The, I, I have an example of a friend who was trying to be faithful to run every day. He told his wife, I need you to keep me accountable. I need to run every day. So one day it was raining horribly outside, and she's like, you're going to run? And he's like, no, it's raining. And so she's like, well, put on a rain jacket and get out there. He was so angry, right? So he's like, so I went for a run, but I didn't put a rain jacket on because no one tells him what to do, right? In community, we are held accountable and confronted. 
And this is exactly why some people avoid it. They hate the prospect of being challenged. They hate the prospect of being called out. Hey, you said you were going to do this thing and you didn't. Or they hate the prospect of someone else saying, actually, you know what? There's a better way to do that if you did it this way. And they don't see that as liberty. They see that as condemnation because their value is so tied up in their performance. Some people can't handle it. It's a front to their value as a person. They don't want the truth. Listen, you can be super intelligent and an idiot. If you, if you won't let others correct you, if you won't let others confront you, if you won't listen to truth from anyone else, you're just going to take your truth, right? If, you want, if you're going to refuse truth if it makes you feel embarrassed or, or uh, offends you or humiliates you or shows you that you're in the wrong, right? Listen, if that's you, you're going to go from job to job, from community to community, from church to church because you cannot hear truth about yourself. And apparently it's the Holy Spirit who is the one. If we will invite him in, he will soften us so that when we are challenged or confronted or held accountable, we transform and grow instead of shatter and crumble like a rock. Got it? Soft hearts can take hits. Soft hearts can be confronted. They can adapt. They can change. Rocks can't do it. That's why some of you crumble when someone criticizes you. It's why some of you can't handle constructive criticism because you just crumble to pieces. You're not soft. Right? Are you utterly shattered when someone confronts you or holds you accountable? Do you just crumble when your flaws are pointed out? Or has the Holy Spirit made you into the kind of person who can be held accountable and it causes you actually to grow? It causes you actually, when Proverbs talks about the wise man rebuking you, you say, thank you. That's what I needed. I knew I was off course here. The process, y'all, of acknowledging truth, truth about God, truth about yourselves can be very, very difficult at times, especially when our perceived value and personal interest and bias are in conflict with these things, right? But Jesus also called the Holy Spirit the helper. He says it's the Holy Spirit who's going to help you, who's going to reveal all truth. And the question for all of you right now, in my opinion, is do you want the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you want the spirit of truth? Do you want to deal with life as it is? Or would you prefer ignorance and delusion and fantasy about yourself and about the world we live in? We need the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. So we've been talking about this for over a month, all right? I don't know where you're at with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you're on the fence for whatever reason. But if you have never asked the Holy Spirit to come into your life, we're going to make time for you today to receive the Holy Spirit as an individual as a person. We're going to take communion like we always do. As a family, we're going to do it just like we did last week. We're going to hold the elements. I'll, I'll explain it. We're going to take the bread and the cup. But then after that, we're going to make time that if, you, if you're here and you've never received the Spirit, you don't know. You know I don't think. I'm not sure. I'm going to invite you to take a risk today and to invite the Holy Spirit. And if any of the things that we've been talking about over this past month have pricked you and said, you know what? All this conversation, it feels like I'm still on the outside looking in. If you can relate to that when it comes to faith, truth, then today, dude, what's the worst that could happen? If you invite the Holy Spirit, if you ask the Holy Spirit, come inside me. Make me the kind of person who loves truth. Maybe the kind of person who can hear truth, right? We're going to make time for that, okay? But first, we're going to come to the table. This is part of our worship service where we come. All believers are invited.